Um, before I read the scripture for today, we are going to pray a short prayer of illumination. The way that we learn from the scriptures is through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we are going to ask us, ask him to help us learn from his word. Our holy God, would you give us humble, obedient, and teachable hearts that we may learn from your word, grow in your love, and walk in your ways. Praise be to Christ. Amen. The scripture this week is Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 9. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be Christ. The most profound things that any of us can say about God will begin with how he describes himself. The most true things that we will say about him or think about him or when conversation with others about him begin with, though they don't end with, what he says about himself. And here Isaiah teaches us, the Lord teaches us through Isaiah that his thoughts are different than ours. John Calvin said, there's nothing that troubles our consciences more than thinking that God, sorry, I was say it again. There's nothing that troubles our consciences more than when we think God is like us. When we think his thoughts are like our thoughts. When we think his ways are like our ways. And Isaiah's brief little passage is an invitation to first receive his thoughts and ways and then to turn from our own thoughts and ways because naturally, our thoughts and ways are no good. They are not going to lead us into lives of life. Even if they're not evil, they're just neutral. There is a better way. Sermon nine o'clock service was not very long. So, not sure how this one's going to go. Sometimes uh, they end up coming out a little bit differently, but if you hear nothing else, I want to encourage you to take these verses and to turn them into a prayer, perhaps. Lord, I know that my thoughts and my ways are not like yours. Would you make them a bit more like yours? It's the second clause of the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is not only a request that Jesus return as soon as possible, be the best ending to the sermon ever, (laughs) right? It's also a request that our places of influence and care and life and thought and word and deed become more 
like his kingdom. But what are his thoughts about? This passage gives us a a relatively basic answer, a relatively beautiful answer. His thoughts are about you. I'm sure I'm not the only one in the room who's troubled by what's happening in Europe. And I doubt anyone in Europe is listening to my sermon. There are a lot of really terrific preachers in the world. I don't even know if I'm one of them. But I wonder if they would be encouraged to read Isaiah 55. I think so. Though lots of questions would come out of reading it and concluding that God's thoughts are about us. If you wonder this ever, what does God think about? Isaiah, the Lord's words to Isaiah would tell us he thinks about us. In Isaiah 57, it says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly. Those God has pursued, they respond with a knowledge of their need, are the ones that he thinks about to revive the heart of the contrite. His thoughts and his ways, it's not only his thoughts that are not like ours, it's his ways also. What are God's ways? What does he do? Who is he? God is creative. And he's not creative because he's bored. He's not creative because he's lonely. He's creative as an outflow of who he is. He's also a God who's grieved when his people turn from him, when his people fall. He's grieved by that. And what does he do? He goes and redeems them and calls them back to himself, and then he recreates that people. This is a category of covenant theology that not only explains the entirety of the scriptures, but is also a pattern that we see over and over. That's not only a pattern, it's also, it also teaches us who God is. He creates, he's grieved at our fall or turning away from him, he redeems, and then he recreates. I was reading the book of 1 Kings this week, because sometimes I read scriptures that I'm not about to preach to you, and it's so sad the generational sin and the, through aggression and passivity, what does God do? He redeems and pursues through prophets and through changing people's hearts, through letting them <laughs> fall in the ways that they fell at those times. God's ways are creative. And then grief at our rejection of his ways, and then he redeems, and then he recreates. And you see this in the stories of Jesus. If you take Isaiah 55... As a template for reading Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you better understand every interaction Jesus has. I I started to write, I rewrote parts of this sermon more than many in a long time, and some of you are like, you should have gone back to those old notes. This is not clicking. That's fine. Some sermons click, some don't. But I started to write, Jesus wasn't always gracious because of some of the harsh words that he had for people that created laws to avoid loving their neighbor. And at the end of his ministry, pronounced some very uh, powerful and profound woes 
to some religious leaders, not all, some religious leaders who were doing lots of religious things instead of worshiping and loving neighbor. That's gracious though, isn't it? It's gracious to confront someone when they're wrong. God's thoughts and ways are evidenced in the way that Jesus interacted with everyone. Patiently, kindly, Jesus was grieved by disease and death. Jesus was angry, especially when religion was used to oppress and hypocrisy. God's thoughts and ways are not like ours. And his words to Isaiah for the people of Israel and now for us offer a slow kingdom opportunity for us to ask him that our thoughts and ways become more like his. This passage, though, is very much about a few things, and one is distance. C.S. Lewis uh, describes the three kinds of language of the Bible, and if we can grapple with this, we will understand the scriptures far better. There are three kinds of language in a basic sense. It's not the only way of talking about language, but it's a very helpful way of talking about biblical language. There's regular language, mundane. If you've read the book of Ecclesiastes, it's almost painfully mundane describing the human experience, right? If you've read um, that Jesus is our propitiation, that's very theological language. Jesus' work covers our sense. That's the second kind. So mundane language, scientific language. And then there's beautiful language that is theological, but is also beautiful. And so the point it's making is through beauty more so than a specificity. That being said, Isaiah is using beautiful, God to Isaiah is using beautiful language to communicate distance. The distance between God's thoughts and ways and ours is immense. Isaiah is not thinking that you're going to measure the distance between the heavens and the earth, but that you understand the distance is far. It's also about movement. And who moves? God. God comes to get us. We cannot move until he empowers us to respond to his movement in love. That's what the emphasis of this passage is on. More profoundly, how far is he willing to move? John writes it this way, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. His way is to move towards us. How far is he willing to move? All the way to the flesh. His thoughts and his ways are not like ours. And this is the... This is the, the this was the hardest part of the sermon for me this week. What are our ways? What are we like? And I ended up looking at a couple of passages of Scripture because I think they highlight our natural tendencies. And maybe I'm a little off. This is where you get to email me this week and be like, the third part of the sermon, this is what I would have written. And I enjoy, actually enjoy those emails, especially if you quote me accurately and then tell me what I was missing out on. Last time I mentioned that, Nathan Lehman, perfect, perfect, perfect comedic timing while we were playing disc golf, said, I was surprised to hear that you like to be misquoted. <laughs> you all got that joke faster than I did. I was like, ah. Oh. Anyway. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. I think we avoid mourning. I think that's our ways. 
I think we especially avoid it in others when our friends are mourning. We're hesitant to sit with them. We'd much rather fix them or try to make them feel better, which, by the way, doesn't work. If that's our goal, most of the time. Blessed are those who mourn. I think we avoid it. Blessed are the meek. Those that know who they are and try to be neither less nor more than who they are in the world. We have all sorts of ways of getting around that through self-deprecation that's unnecessary or trying to puff ourselves up. When we see meekness in others, I think it scares us because it's so rare for someone to be fully comfortable themselves, neither trying to be more nor less. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. I think we judge them or wonder if they're hypocrites. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. I'm just going to be honest. When I encounter a merciful person, my instinct is they're naive. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. I always think those people are weird. You know what I'm getting at? Like our ways naturally are not beautiful ways of being in the world. Blessed are the peacemakers. When I encounter a peacemaker, I'm like, who has time for this? Just being honest. That's my natural way. And the Lord describing it, his thoughts and ways are different is an invitation for me to accept my natural ways not being great and receive his. In going through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, I was a little bit surprised, though I know the text pretty well, at how much Jesus confronts our tendencies towards hypocrisy in so many different ways. And then I thought of kind of our daily ways. And this is where John Calvin's quote is, is essential. I'll read it again. There's nothing that troubles our consciences more than when we think God is like ourselves. Because we're pretty distractible, aren't we? One of my kids came in the room yesterday, and everyone else in the room was on their phone. Right? And that's not a bad thing in and of itself, but we're distracted, but God is not. He doesn't lose focus like we do. When you ask someone how they're doing, what do you think the percentage of time is they're going to say they're tired or busy? It's above 70, right? But God's not. He does not fatigue. He doesn't get caught over here and can't listen to us. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about our lack of certainty in who we are in our private lives and who we are in our public religious lives. God's not unsure of himself or of you in your relationship with him. One of the more poetic parts of the Sermon on the Mount is that we're naturally anxious. We are naturally anxious people. And God doesn't condemn us for that, but he shows us another way. But what's most important for us to understand today, he's not. He's not fidgety or anxious or trying to get to the next meeting. In Dane Orland's book, Gentle and Lowly, he says that the hardest thing about our receiving that God's thoughts and ways are not like ours is we're naturally people that believe in reciprocity in relationship and life. Unless we're actively contending against it, we make rules in our head that, frankly, if we wrote them all down, we couldn't actually keep them, but we hold others to that standard. And then we think, semi-consciously perhaps, that God is like that. 
as though his ways are not entirely different. Perhaps one of the, the more egregious times to see this is when people start talking about justice and it's so shallow compared to God's justice. And the reason is not because we're shallow, but because we naturally think he's like us and he is not. In John chapter 21, after Peter had, Jesus had advocated for Peter, told him he was praying for him, Peter was like, no, I'm not going to deny you. Then Peter denies him. Then after Jesus rose from the dead, he goes and he pursues Peter. You remember this story? When they had finished breakfast, I love the mundaneness of the resurrection stories. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, I say to you that when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you were old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress and carry you where you do not want to go. Sometimes when that story is preached or taught about, we get into some of the semantics of the changing of the language of sheep and of love. The most important thing that we see is Jesus going after Peter. Why? Listen, this is so important. Why did Jesus go after Peter? Because it's who he is. He goes after his people to redeem and recover them. This is the very heart of God. This is the very heart of Christ. His thoughts and his ways are not like ours. They're covenantal. The steadfast love of God is a covenanting love. We see it in Isaiah and in the Psalms. And the opportunity that we have this morning is the gentle invitation to receive his heart for us, which is the only thing that can give our heart rest, and then to receive his strengthening power to become a little more covenantal in our love and affection for those he's put into our lives. First for him, and then for those he's put into our lives, and then for the work that he has for us to do. I don't know exactly what ways and thoughts in you are not of him that could be conformed to his ways that would give rest to your heart and would love better those in your life. I might invite you to do one of the things I did this week, read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. And when you come across a section that stings a little bit, maybe pause there and offer that to the Lord. Invite him to grow you up and mature you in love for him and neighbor. I think perhaps one of the most clear ways that our ways are not like his is when we're offended. What do we do when we're offended? Fight, freeze, fly, right? What does he do? Who is he? How is he? Psalm 103, verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious 
slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. Thank God. Isn't that great news? Nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. His thoughts and his ways are not like ours. They are steadfastly, covenantly, covenantally loving, which is a love that does not ever quit. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Would you pray with me? Lord, would you help us to receive this promise? Would you make our minds and our emotions in awe of you and your pursuing love? As we bless one another, using this old blessing, Lord, would you give us the experience of the rest that you have purchased for us in the work of your son, Jesus. Amen.